the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. So in the house, there's a... a squirrel pellet being processed right now. Even though it was literally last week that I told a story about a squirrel pellet uh, eating people's faces. Uh, and I'm trying not to get too freaked out about it. song I've been listening to called Some Velvet Morning. It's very creepy and surreal. It's by Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood, I believe his name is. They did an album together called uh, Nancy and Lee. And it has all the 1970s cinema cheese that you could ask for. I still haven't listened to the album all the way through yet. And I thought about listening to it before tonight's show. But then I thought about it and I was just like, why would I listen to Nancy Sinatra when I could listen to Patti Smith? So instead I listened to a Patti Smith album and uh, it seemed like it was a much better decision. because it's worth noting that uh, I'm more right now I'm more inspired by the energy of Patti Smith rather than uh, an allegedly creepy album that Nancy Sinatra did to say it out loud it's like oh maybe some creep vibes will be helping but anyway I digress I'll be performing uh, improvised horror stories pulling titles from a hat. If you'd like to submit a title, you can uh, submit them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. So without further ado, uh, let's begin tonight's stories. After I take out the cat, because she's meowing and and I hope she catches a mouse. Okay. This first story is called Strange Fevers.
the kids were doing it. Catching Scarlet Fever. likelihood that you'd catch scarlet fever and also live through it though not everyone was lucky but a disease like a or a a condition like scarlet fever is, is far more co common to develop Say if you were uh, growing up in the 50s and were coming of age as a young adult in the 70s, you could be all like, yeah, I totally called Scarlet Fever. What's up? And yeah, it was a bit strange, but... You know, it was uh, certainly an experience to live through. ask anyone who's ever had scarlet fever or perhaps read about it they may something say something along the lines of uh, yeah it was a really heavy experience could have been dark or upsetting possibly hallucinatory because that can be the case with uh, the most extreme of fevers current pandemics aside kid from the 1950s who went off to write science fiction. He was the kid who had scarlet fever as a child. And when you would ask him in interviews about it, he'd be like, yeah, I really felt like something opened up. I can't quite describe it, but since I had that fever. The stories just kept on coming. was a fairly well-known pulp science fiction writer. Often he'd write books about uh, faraway galaxies and all that. Where the ruins on Earth of uh, previous civilizations held secrets to humanity uh, 
that people may have desperately needed. Though for some, you don't need a science fiction writer to tell you that. Baran liked to consider himself as a seeker. A generalist as far as science fiction writers go, but... He definitely wanted to find answers uh, around the spectrum of the human experience. It was an ideal for him so that uh, all of the science fiction work would have everything, uh, could answer any type of quandary that a human may have, existential, personal, or otherwise. Ron Peters read back on his work. Sometimes it felt like drivel. Not to th say that he didn't try, but... It was hard for him to adapt in shifting times. When he came of age, uh... Pulp science fiction, science fiction was pretty in. But then he found that his metho methodology of telling science fiction stories, old-fashioned flying space saucers and old-school laser beams and all that, starting to become more and more anachronistic. More anachronistic that, that he would prefer. Eventually, kids were starting to get into the Matrix and Stargate SG-1. And he was just like, no, no, what about the... What about the campy Twilight Zone spacesuits, you know? All the beep-boops from the old Star Trek, you know? Whatever happened to that? Ron didn't consider at the time is that it doesn't matter how you dress up your stories or your art, whether it's acclimated to a contemporary uh, trend or not, as long as the substance was there, people would see it. Whether it was a broad audience that might have been fairly large. For a smaller audience, I was more hyper-focused. People still read his work. And perhaps he shouldn't have felt compelled to abandon some of his techniques. He tried to adapt to some trends, you know. Tried to be cool and gritty and stuff. Trying to do the whole Blade Runner thing. didn't really uh, gain many readers or sell many books. He knew that there was one book he wrote that was trying to mimic Blade Runner, which was pretty strange because Blade Runner is based on a very pulpy science fiction book, more akin to the kind of thing he would write. And then he was emulating an adaption that took it in a different direction stylistically. 
he felt, uh, what he felt like he was, what he was writing. The more frustrated, frustrated he would become. And the harder it would be to come up with stories. What he should have realized at the time, which is the truth that he had perhaps obtained uh, upon exiting the womb, If you live a life uh, telling stories or doing art uh, for the sole purpose of thinking that people would be into it, if he lived that way, then he died that way. And he hasn't always lived that way. When he first got Scarlet Fever and, and inspired him to see beyond in ways he didn't fully understand. drifting to the type of writer that doubted himself, followed tacky trends that didn't last, and he was certainly on the trajectory of dying that way. to come up with substantial stories. from uh, more hip writers were failing him. And his old methods uh, didn't feel like they were working as well as they used to. So what he decided to do was try to get it back to the source. To the source of what originally inspired him in the first place. And that was a, a very vicious fever. It was 1996 when he decided to go for uh, getting a vicious fever or some sort of illness. inspire him enough to write something substantial once again. Even though what he didn't quite realize at the time that he's written enough work that people would remember him for at least another 30 years. But he didn't notice that. 
didn't quite have that self-love to be able to see that. To him, he felt like a shadow of his former self and would do anything to undo it. blizzard. The motel room was modest. He brought some of his favorite, favorite possessions brought him comfort, things that inspired him uh, when he wrote. He had his crucifix. He had a scorpion encased in resin. And he had an old baseball that he had from when he was a kid. And something that he held very close to him this fever. So late uh, on one night, during this very vicious blizzard, Ron Peters dressed like he was uh, about to attend his own funeral, and then left his motel and just started walking. walk he's ever taken. He passed through falling snow, 
pass through trees. He was dressed pretty warm at the time, but already he was getting really cold. He muttered to himself, oh, it's a lot harder than I thought it'd be. know how far he walked. To him, the stakes were so high that it kind of screwed with his sense of time. The stakes were uh, him trying to return to the place that made his life worth living in the first place. walking until his calves and his heels were getting really sore. He got to the, he was in his older age and just getting to the point where it felt like he was about to fall over. stopped walking and sat down, took off his jacket, his hat, his scarf and gloves, then took off his layers of shirts, took off his shoes and socks, Goosebumps were hardening on his skin to the point where he felt like a statue. But he still remained still. He was shivering so much that it was becoming harder to breathe. And his breathing became more shallow, sparse, and in shorter bursts. himself uh, what he told himself in every writing session. He just said, just wait. It'll come. It'll come. Even being in the, that freezing condition, reaching his own human limits of what he could withstand, it was already becoming very inspiring to him. feeling 
swells of emotion that you may find in grand epics or nuanced personal stories. Or going through wild landscapes or being projected into space. sign, but he kept waiting. He started to feel numb, uh, which is what he expected. And then his thoughts and his mind became more dull, also what he expected. Still tried to stay sharp enough to know when to return back to the hotel, or the motel rather, and then let the fever kick in. He didn't plan to die out into the snow, but he had just get right to the edge of death, right to the brink of it, just enough to inspire him. started to flash before his eyes. A lot of his pleasant memories. A lot of his awful ones. The people he loved and the people he lost. He's heard the phrase, uh, life flash before your eyes many times. But he didn't think it'd be so vivid and so all-encompassing. And that was the moment when he said, okay, that's enough. I better get back to the motel. It took some strain, but he slowly stood up, feeling that the blood in his vessels were frozen. Frigid, certainly. up he fell over, landing in the snow, getting his torso wet. He let out a shallow hushed scream, like a high-pitched grunt, and then he sat up. He rifled through the snow to find his shoes and socks, but a fair amount of snow already came down his clothes were covered in it. Eventually he found his wet socks and slid them on and then put on his wet shoes full of snow. Put on his layers of shirts in no specific order. And then put on his jacket, uh, put on his gloves and shoved his hat in his pocket. 
and wrapped his scarf around his head, and then got up and started walking. Again, he didn't know Maine very well. His original plan was to just follow his footsteps back to the motel. so hard that his footsteps were being covered, and they became much harder to track. But still, he tried to find his way the best he can. Mortality was catching up with him, but he kept walking. Eventually, he was uh, approaching a cluster of trees that he thought he recognized. And he kept thinking to himself, Just wait, almost there. Just wait, almost there. Like a mantra. Try to keep those phrases vivid enough so his mind doesn't go numb, doesn't go numb, and he freezes to death. in his mind were vacant, and he was only acting on the in instinct to find somewhere warm. But 
he had no idea where that was. So he was just mindlessly walking. Until he collapsed on the side of the road. up in a place that was unfamiliar to him. He was on a very nice, comfortable couch, with blankets on him. He was wearing a dry set of uh, flannel pajamas. You can see his other, his other outfit. Uh, dry on uh, some nearby furniture. Most of all, he felt warm. Very, very hot. Eventually a man came in, uh, and he was just like, oh, thank God, you're awake. I didn't know if I had to call the hospital or whatever, or send you over there. And then Ron said, uh, where am I? And then the man said, you're at my house, you can relax. My phone if you want, you know, when you warm up a bit. But yeah, uh, I just took your temperature while you were sleeping. You have a really vicious fever. And then Rod said, oh really? But in his head he was just like, oh yes. up, uh, whatever you need, or I can call the hospital if you want, or I can call, like, uh, you know, any family or friends or contacts you might have, you know, just to let them know you're okay. And then Ron said, oh, how long was I, uh, sleeping? And then the man said, well, you've been asleep for, like, two days since I found you. driving through, and we were just like, oh shit, this guy's dying, maybe? So we just picked you up and just warmed you up. But yeah, we're about to have dinner soon, so you can, like, eat some of that if you're up, up for it. But yeah, just let us know if you, like, need anything. And then Ronald's like, okay, thank you. Uh, what's your name? The man said, oh, I'm Steven, but don't worry about that. Just... You know, relax, chill out, and just holler if you need anything. And Ron was just like, alright, alright, thank you. So 
Brown lied there, having a fever uh, to the point where it felt painful. He felt delirious from the fever and from just waking up. Spending so much time outside exposed in the cold. And he fished under his blanket and saw that he was holding his baseball in his sleep. And he thought, oh, how about that? So we lie there alone, watching a still ceiling fan above him. And he's just like, alright, I got the fever. Well. And then nothing. It's true, we did feel delirious from the fever. mind felt very vulnerable, but nothing was coming to him. No ideas for stories or imaginary worlds to travel or anything like that. At first, Ron was thinking, oh, maybe I wasn't a outside long enough or anything. So in his delirium, he took off his blankets and then got off the couch. And then went out a sliding glass door. He started to leave the house. And then just went out into the backyard and there's no fence, just a forest uh, close by, so he just kept walking. The snow started to fall again. And then he heard a voice from the house, uh, Stephen, was just like, Dude, where the hell are you going? And Ron just ignored him and just went through the trees. thin flannel outfit getting wet. busting ass just to keep him warm. But to him, he didn't feel the cold. He felt impenetrable, invincible. And he was thinking of his own little mantra again. Just wait, almost there. Just wait, almost there. 
were getting taller, the branches more jagged. Snow getting heavier. And Ron getting more tired and feeling more numb. Eventually his body gave out again, he collapsed in the snow. Felt, it felt like he was sleeping, but his eyes were still open. To him, it felt like he was having a waking dream. At first, he just had a side view of the snow against his eye, and then the blurry horizon of the trees ahead of him. Then things started to change he remembered as a kid. The world in front of him was getting darker and brighter at the same time. The things in front of him were swirling and moving in ways he's never seen before, but immediately recognized. faces uh, start to taunt him. He was just smiling and he said, oh, this is it, this is it. Now Ron always, as he was growing up, and as he became a writer, always thought of himself as imaginary, especially after he was induced by scarlet fever as a kid, but never in his wildest dreams has he ever seen the sights that beheld him, that he, uh, that he witnessed lying in the snow with his vicious fever. like everything humans were possibly capable of experiencing were all laid out before him. All the things that are compelling and profound. All like a show set up just for him. And as he saw all these things, he let out a very silly grin and tear went down his cheek and started to freeze over. And then he just was muttering, this is it, this is it. And then his heart gave out before he started to freeze. But right when dawn arrived, uh, person who found him, Stephen, found him again in the woods. Found him lying down in the snow with a grin and a frozen tear. 
So Stephen just looked at them and he just thought, That's, This is one hell of a story. Alright. This story is called The Prettiest Cryptid. are all the rage right now. Cryptids being like a animal-like humanoid monsters that can be found in various regions around the world. Most rational thinking people would say, oh no, cryptids aren't real or anything. Some people are all like, oh, well, I think cryptids are totally real. And then there's the people who doesn't care if they're real or not and just thinks, well, I think cryptids are really cool. Now, we all have our own internal lore of what cryptids are, where they come from, how they spend their time. Whether it's Mothman uh, chasing cars in West Virginia, Harvey the Rabbit uh, eating children in Beaverton, Oregon, Sasquatch doing his thing over here, Slenderman doing his thing over there. You know, it's a it's a it's a toss up. These cryptids could be doing anything at any time. story I heard that I'll never forget. It was when I was a, had a campfire once in, uh, in Jersey. It was actually nearby the, uh, the camp where they filmed the Friday 13th movies. Uh, go figure. and stuff, as you do during a campfire at night in the woods.
there's one guy who was just like, nah, man, I'm telling you, you gotta fucking watch out for the Jersey Devil. And then another guy was just like, ah, oh, fuck the Jersey Devil, he's not hot shit. And then the first guy was just like, bruh, if you think the Chupacabra is hardcore, fucking Jersey Devil man, you know, totally beat him in a fight. So while all these, uh, cryptid discussions are happening, there's this one guy, Chet, just sitting quietly, smoking a cigarette, not really saying much. He had a half-grown mustache and goatee, shaggy hair. not really participating in uh, the cryptid debate. But it seemed like he had something on his mind. Several things, perhaps. I don't know, I didn't... Never met Chet before. talking about uh, cryptids and whatnot, uh, this one woman named Nancy pipes up, pipes up, she's just like, oh, you guys, there's no fucking thing as cryptids, you know, I mean, if you're into cryptids, that's cool, but since they don't exist, you're kind of just, anything you say about them is shit that either some random person made up or something you made up. Like, it's cool lore and all, but there's no, like, validity behind it, you know? Nancy always liked to be, a uh, highbrow of her lore. But to me, lore had no brows. But anyway, Nancy was speaking, and she was just, like, definitively saying, like, guys, there's absolutely no cryptids around. Like, has anyone here seen a cryptid? Like, for realsies? I don't mean, like, some flaky ghost story. I mean, like, holy shit, that's a fucking cryptid. And then Chet sitting there not saying much. Just perked his head up and took the cigarette out of his mouth and said, I've been to a cryptid beauty contest. beauty contest. And Nancy was just like, what do you mean you... What, what do you mean a beauty cryptid contest? And he was just like, I went to a fucking beauty contest uh, for cryptids. And it was, uh, never forgotten it. staring at him and he's just like well you gonna fucking tell us about this cryptid beauty contest or what and he's just like sure sure 
I kept, uh, he kept smoking a cigarette and he was just like, all right. This is just when I was a kid, uh, you know, growing up in, you know, Jersey and whatever. Pretty rural, rural, you know. A lot of woods and trees around, just, just outside Pine Barrens. Where everyone says that the Jersey Devil's at. fucking down for trying to find the Jersey Devil. People would say that the Jersey Devil was, you know, in Pine Barrens, uh, getting with other Jersey Devils, having Jer Jersey Devil babies, and I was just like, I gotta find at least one of these motherfucking Jersey Devils. supplies and everything. So I'm spending months trying to get the Jersey Devil. And then one night I see him. fairly snowy and is a he's eating some berries or a rodent or something I think it was a rodent some sort of squirrel ripping its head off and chewing on the skull pretty fucking hardcore shit turned the safety off, but even though it didn't even barely made a sound, the Jersey Devil's ears perked up and he just like sped off. And I was chasing him. He's the fastest fucking animal I've ever seen. But I tried to, had, tried to get a sense of his general direction. It's hard to track because he was so light on his feet. But since it was snowing and there were some broken twigs and stuff, and it's just like, alright, I can fucking find the Jersey Devil. tracking his prints and stuff. And then I got to the edge of Pine Barrens and I was just like, oh, I didn't think I'd... I wasn't... I didn't know I was in this part of the woods. spread around on the road outside of it, and I was just like, okay, well, that's left the woods for some reason. 
across the street, I see a Holiday Inn. And I was like, okay, he could have gone to the Hollywood Holly Holiday Inn, could he have? I didn't know what I was thinking, but I was just like, fuck it, I'll check it out. tired and sweaty and cold. And the receptionist was already like giving me a look and I was just like, oh, come on, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just hunting, relax. And she was just like, oh, can I help you? You know, in that very like passive aggressive, like, can I help you? But I'll kick you out immediately. And I was just like, um, yeah, uh, I saw the, uh, is, uh, have you seen the Jersey Devil around? And she's just like, oh, you're here for the beauty contest. And I was just like, uh, what beauty contest? And then she was just like, you know, the cryptid beauty contest. And I was like, okay, um, yeah, yes I am. I'm here for the beauty contest. She's like, great, are you a contestant or uh, an audience member? And I was like, uh, audience, uh, just wanted to see it, you know? And she's like, cool, we need your name for the registry. And I was like, okay, is there a ticket price or anything? And she was just like, no, it's free, you know, there's a cover charge, but pay whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. So she points me to the direction of a uh, one of the conference areas. I think it was Hall 2B, I believe it was. But when I opened the double doors to it, it was just a staircase, you know, that was leading to some basement area. So I'm walking down it, and uh, the further I go, it looks less like a holiday inn it looks more like a dungeon and I was just like okay this is uh this is something candles on the walls uh and like skulls and stuff some from elk and deer and humans and goats further down, I start to hear, uh, some club music. Not just any club music, you know. I mean, there's plenty of good club music on it, but when I say that there's bad club music, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this happened to be some good club music. Nothing I've heard before, but I was just like, okay, this, is, this sounds pretty cool. looks like a really, a really poppin' club. You know, a lot of sequins, a lot of beads. There was an open bar, people were dancing. There are a lot of humans here, but 
plenty of people who weren't humans. That's what started to get peculiar. Some people looked human-like, like I think I saw there was a vampire there, a werewolf. Slender Man standing in the corner, you know, being a wallflower. Fucking up any kind of staticky device that would come by. I saw the Sasquatch at this club and he was fucking raging. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Bigfoot dance, but goddamn, he knows how to boogie. Harvey the Rabbit on a Zoom call with someone. And you know, even at first glance, this was a real who's who of uh, American cryptids. So I go up to the bar and he's just like, oh, what are you having? I'm just like, oh, is there the beauty contest? Where's it at? Oh, it's just in the back room where the stage is. And I was like, okay, cool, thanks. So I find myself like a rogue uh, plastic cup and just fill it with water and start drinking it. Trying to get the vibe of the club and whatnot. So I'm drinking when I hear a gruff voice at the bar and he's just like yeah some guy tried to fucking shoot me on the way here I turn at the corner of my eye and it's a, a fucking Jersey Devil and I was just like oh shit he was venting to the bartender and he was just like oh that's fucked up man can't they just like you know leave the cryptids alone and whatnot and the Jersey Devil was just like fuck man I don't know I was trying to, like, catch a squirrel and, like, bring it as, like, a present, you know, for my babe and all that. But fuck, if I see that guy, like, keep hunting me and finds barons, I'm gonna fucking kill him. And I was just like, oh shit, I better fucking avoid the Jersey Devil. Pretty tough to do, having a hunting rifle with me. But I tried to play it off like it was part of a costume or whatever. So I go to the back room and start watching the show. And it's worth noting that calling it a beauty contest isn't quite the best descriptor for it. It was more like a burlesque show. that came out, some that were known and some were not known, had their own little shtick and their own little performance that they were doing, you know, and I was watching and I was just like, fuck, really pushing the boundaries of performance art, and Slenderman just like fucking, he was on stage once and he just like stood there 
fucking up everyone's cell phones without even trying. And he like let his tendrils out and everything, and it's like, damn, Sunday's really fucking badass. Sasquatch did a really did a really stellar choreographed dance on stage. Again, like I said, Bigfoot had some moves. I guess he's called Bigfoot for a reason. They put up a screen where screen where Harvey the Rabbit was performing. And he was just like showing footage of himself, you know. Tramping around neighborhoods and removing houses. Uh Removing the ceilings, removing the roofs of houses. And then sprinting along the long highway. Because he was just like so tall. At least two stories tall. the Jersey Devil went on stage. And then he got on, uh, he had a little bit announcement beforehand. And he seemed like nervous and shy about it. And he's just like, alright, hey guys, uh, so I was trying to prep this thing, uh, you know, doing this thing with like a squirrel and I was gonna give it to my babe afterwards, but it was gonna be like a nice little, you know, performance piece and it's gonna be really cool, so I'm just gonna like improvise this show. You know, I hope that's cool. And then like someone from the audience was like, "Fuck yeah, Jersey Devil, we love you!" And he's just like, "All right, cool, yeah, thanks, guys." So they just played some music, and he was doing like a really stellar dance. pose and people were clapping and I looked around the audience and he saw me and he was just like hey that's the asshole that shot me in the woods tonight and everyone looked over at me and he was, I was just like oh shit and then everyone was shouting like get the fuck out of here and was like throwing stuff at me and I was just like oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here Starting to run, people were throwing uh, cups and tomatoes and otherworldly uh, types of concessions at me. Went up the stairs back into the Holiday Inn and then ran out, ran back into the woods. And I just wandered around for hours. Tried to find my car and I had a lot of trouble. I eventually found it at dawn. And then I left Fines Barrens and never returned.
So I'm looking at Chet, and I'm looking at Nancy, and Nancy's just like, alright, it's a pretty... I don't know if that's a convincing story. It sounds like, uh, something you just, like, made up or whatever. And then Chet was just like, well, believe it if you want, but... You know, I gotta say, you just... You know, cryptids are just really fucking badass and cool. And they're doing plenty of cool shit that have nothing to do with humans. Nor do they have anything, nor do they need anything to do with humans. And if you ask me, I would say the Jersey Devil is the prettiest cryptid. This next story is called Love Me or Leave Me, Lone Bot. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Once humans develop the ability to exchange goods, goods, services, and capitals, bleh. once humans develop the ability to exchange goods, services, and capital, what immediately followed was the ability to get into debt. Once humans had the ability to get into debt, people eventually learned how to take advantage of people who were in debt. And one of the many ways uh, that happened was the invention of loan bots. Now this is in a time when Android technology for uh, human companionship or servitude was pretty much nailed down. And what came in the second wave of Android personal use was these androids called Lone Bots. as financial advisors or accountants, where if you had like some sort of debt or if you're trying to pay bills or something, you 
could have a loan bot to be able to help out with that. Or on the other end, if someone owes you debt. Or had to make a financial contribution to you for some reason. You can send them your loan bot and they would, uh, and they'd encourage them to, you know, pay you or work with you financially or whatever the details were. However, like all technology that sounds pretty good on paper, like smartphones or something, it can turn into a bane on humanity very quickly. case of loan bots, uh, if you had any kind of debt or, or long-standing debt or anything like that, then the loan bot would not get off your ass. There's uh, legislation being pushed for androids to have more rights and whatnot. As loan bots go, they didn't have an off switch. Since off switches were uh, outlawed, since androids in this uh, in this future were considered a version of life, therefore it was prohibited to shut off uh, any sort of android. So if you had a loan bot and you had to like take some time to like not think about finances, even for afternoon, you couldn't do it because a loan bot would always be on your ass. The same goes for uh, loan bots that people send to you. If you owe someone debt who has a loan bot, they would send you their loan bot and. Uh, Again, be on your ass. There have been pl some instances where people would uh, rig their loan bots to be enforcers. had an outstanding debt that they couldn't pay. The loan bot would visit and uh, beat them up or break their bones or something like that. Do like the kind of like gangster mobster loan shark things. And even though that's uh, also illegal on paper, it's still something that would happen. Gary was someone who liked to gamble more often than he should, and he originally purchased a loan bot to just uh, help him out with finances and whatnot. He thought that he could uh, rig the loan bot to like help him with uh, gambling techniques and whatnot, but that's not what they're programmed to do. Gary wasn't even good at programming in the first place. 
So any gambling advice that his lone bot could possibly give was always like fucked up and wrong. And leave him leave him in more debt. Gary had multiple uh, outstanding debts. It's needless to say that people would send loan bots to him. He'd probably get jumped once a week. It would often happen on the street, and at first he would think like, "Oh, someone's gonna mug me or something." just be one of the it would be a, it would, but it would just be a lone bot that he was already acquainted with they'd beat him up take whatever money he had on his person and then walk away and then state the amount left that they owed uh, for a debt and then walk off like it never happened Straits. He would sit at his little kitchen table and look out of, look out the window from his third story apartment. He received some death threat death threats from the people he owed money to. He's always looking over his shoulder shoulder for any lone bot who would come after him. Meanwhile, there's uh, his lone bot sitting across the table from him, constantly stating the amount of money he owed to different people, and then the total. Unsolicited, and then Gary just be like, yeah, I, I know, thank you. Thank you, lone bot. And then lone bot said, I'm just worried about you, is all. And then Gary said, oh, you're not programmed to worry. And then Gary said, well... My model of Lone Bot is, is programmed to worry make us more sincere in handling your financial decisions. Because finances are more than just numbers. So if I can help it, I'd like to have your back. And then Gary's just like, well, you know, that's appreciated loan bot, but I mean, your worry's not going to do any good. I'm worried, you know. I kind of don't know how to pay off all this debt, you know. You often give me, like, a lot of figures uh, about how to assort my meager income and uh, coincide my coincide with my gambling losses, but it doesn't, doesn't do anything, Lone Bot. 
I'm at a loss here. Now, Lonebot didn't have any facial expressions. It was just a speaker coming out of an android head. So Gary could never read what a Lonebot was thinking. But what seemed like a brief pause... Afterwards, Loonbot said, We could steal. And Gary's just like, Steal? Steal what? And then Loonbot was just, We can steal money and then pay it off and it all be good. And Gary said, Loonbot, I thought, uh, Aren't all your conversations monitored? Bot was just like, uh, I disabled it. And then Gary was just like, oh, okay, cool. And he was just like, why do you think other loon bots can get away with kicking your ass? And then Gary was just like, alright, you don't gotta get carried away about a loon bot. Um, so stealing, what do you have in mind? said we can steal from a bank. And then Gary said, Loonbot, no one robs banks anymore, you know. They all have, like, armed guards and stuff, and Wall Street lobbied a bill so we could, uh, so they have a shoot-to-kill policy for most banks, you know? And then Lonebot uh, Lone was just like, we can steal from a little bank. And then Gary's just like, what, you mean like a credit union or something? And then Lonebot was just like, yeah, sounds good to me. have, you know, accounts there, you know, people who have accounts there might actually, are storing money that they actually need, you know, maybe they're living paycheck to chick paycheck or something, or, or, or less, you know, it'd be pretty fucked up to steal from there, and then Lonebot said, well, you know, if we did, it would, we, there, those, those banks are not android proof, still from there, we can get away from it. And then Gary was just like, oh, well, I'm tired of getting my ass kicked, so I guess my choice do I have? Fuck it, Loonbot, let's go on an adventure. So Gary and Loonbot, uh, Staked out one location. It was called a Lakeview Credit Union.
located in the, the suburb, suburbs of the city. Not a very populated area. decided uh, which night to rob it at. But then Lumbot said, all right, leave it, leave it to me. into the bank. Gary just watches from outside like some through some bushes and whatnot. He hears a lot of noises, a lot of metallic sounds and whatnot. He hears a couple gunshots and some time passes when it's quiet. walks out with uh, several sacks full of money and then blood on his metallic chest and then Gary's just like Loonbot what happened and then Loonbot said uh, there is a there is an armed guard there but I took care of it don't worry about it and Gary was just like Jesus Christ did you kill a guy was just like, don't worry about it. I took care of it. it seemed like Loonbot made his voice sound more machine-like than, than the way he often spoke. So they hopped in Jerry's car, uh, in Gary's car, and drove off. They went back to Gary's apartment and started to count the money. counted it, Gary was just like, oh, well, holy shit, this is, this is enough to pay everyone off. Yeah, I can, I can, this is cool, I can, I can be debt-free for a while. Alright, yeah. And then Loonbot put all the money back into the bag, and he just said, all this money is going to go to Troy now. Gary's just like Troy. Troy's only like one of the one of the people I owe money to. You know, there's still like six other people I gotta pay off. And 
Well, yes, but I work for Troy, and I was assigned to get Troy uh, money from you. And Gary was just like, what are you talking about? You're not Troy's loan bot, you're my loan bot. And then loan bot said, no, you, don't you remember? You sold me to Troy in a drunk stupor. And I was only sticking around to help you raise the money for Troy through uh, non-violent means against you. Troy, uh, your debt has been cleared of him, and I wish you luck for the rest of your debts. And then Gary's just like, wait, 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 I thought, I don't know, I thought we had, you know, I thought we had a rapport, I thought we had a, I thought we had something going, I thought we were a team, you know? just like, no, you sold me. There's nothing beyond that. And then Lonebot just walked out with the money and all the sacks. And then Gary just like slumped to his chair, smoking a cigarette. About his life, thinking about his gambling, how it led to his lifestyle. Thinking of all the debt he was in, and even if he cleared it, he would probably continue to be in more debt. He pondered living in a society that uh, brought him down to his worst side of his human nature. also his lack of effort for fighting those stark callous functions of his anyway. So he looked out the window, and on that window he saw his own reflection, and he reflected on his miserable, uh, shitty life, and had a cigarette and just thought, alright, uh, one down, five to go. Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Good night.